Scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Bob. And thanks, Sydney, for singing the beginning of that song. That was pretty, that Noel song. It's good to hear your voice. Well, we're continuing our Gospel of Luke series called Accomplished Among Us. And after looking at Luke's brilliant preface, we started last week where he told us that he was going to write down, he was going to write down a true eyewitness, historical, storied, narrative, story, account of the things Jesus accomplished among us. He wrote to a well-respected man called Theophilus. He mentioned his name in those first couple verses. He was a Gentile, probably, and a new convert to Christianity who was trying to figure out whether he belonged in this new community. And so Luke writes him this gospel story. And Luke promises to go to the beginning of things, which we even sung about today and heard about from 1 John, the beginning of things. Luke promises to go there and takes us all the way back to Jesus' birth. Actually, he goes even a little further. Jumping, uh, we're jumping in today with the angel Gabriel after he's already visited Mary's older cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah, who was a priest. And he proclaimed to them that they too would have a miraculous birth of a man who would be kind of the last Old Testament prophet that the book of Malachi promises, the coming Messiah, John the Baptist. So we're jumping in right after that story. But if you remember that story of Zechariah the priest, do you remember Gabriel, the same angel that comes to Mary today, came to him about six months earlier and told him similar words, that you're going to have this birth with your barren wife. And he said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You know what Gabriel did? He struck him mute. He could not speak until the baby was born 
because there was disbelief in his statement. Gabriel says that. Well, today we jump ahead to Gabriel's second visit, but this visit is a different one. This is to a young teenage girl, probably no older than 15, and her name was Mary. She was an unwed teenage mother. Think about that. That's who God goes to? An unwed teenage mother. And her response is both similar but different than Zachariah's, both similar and different. So we're going to enter into kind of this progressive unfolding of God's plan of salvation in the coming of Jesus, which is so curious and marvelous that he did it over thousands of years. This progressive unrevealing, unfolding. John chapter 8 says, it says that Abraham longed to see or rejoiced to see Jesus' day. That's incredible to the period of 400 years of silence at the close of the Old Testament to now approaching a young girl who's the first one to hear Jesus' name, a young, unwed, teenage mother, and to give birth to God in flesh in this really precarious pregnancy we're going to look at, in this encounter between the angel of Gabriel and Mary. We're going to see a couple things. Here's they are. First, we're going to see the tender grace of God And the real-time process of Mary wrestling with God's confusing plan for her life. And I want us to see if we can answer this question today. Can you and I leave here today knowing that God's plan is always better than our own? Can we leave here today knowing that? That's a hard question because a lot of times they're confusing the plans he has for our life. And some of you are going through things right now where you think, I don't know if I can say that. Is God's plan always better than our own? But here's what I think. I believe that if we, too, receive this message like Mary did that we're going to unpack today, you will leave here today knowing that God is good, he is tender, And that it's also okay to wrestle openly with confusing things or plans that God brings into your life. There's got to be permission and space for that because Mary did it with a heavenly being, an angel. So we're going to look at three truths today. So hopefully you've got your outline there. Have your scripture open to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look as Mary wrestled with these confusing plans Because behind even the most confusing plans are things that happen in our lives. If anything is possible with God, and the angel says that, he can turn even the most confusing events in our life to the most glorious and for our good. That's what we're going to see. So let's take a look at the first truth here. We're going to look at this. Greetings of grace in the Bible, and especially here with Gabriel, they come so many times to the most unlikely places and the most unlikely people. That's what Mary gets, a greeting of grace. And we're going to see here, she is unlikely. So is her husband-to-be, and so is the place where they live and where Jesus lives and where he's from. The first few verses Luke gives for us details, just to be sure who this couple was and where they lived. He gets some really specific details for Theophilus. Let's say he wanted to go track them down or find somebody that knew them or knew Mary. He gives the time, the place, and the people 
in, the, in these first few verses. He says, you know, it's the sixth month was when this happened. That's six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, her cousin. The angel Gabriel went to Galilee, it says. Now, if I was planning the birth of the king of the world, God in flesh, the all-authoritative Christ, Messiah, I would choose probably the high priest's daughter or some, maybe Theophilus's daughter, some great official. You know, if you chose the high priest's daughter to give birth to Jesus, you know, you get this thing off with a bang, right? He's close to the temple. He'd be right there as he's born to the high priest's daughter. Let's get him in the hot spot where all this religious activity and all this people gathering and hearing from God and worshiping God, let's put Jesus right there to start. That is not what God does. Galilee, Nazareth, this town. It would be like he goes to this town that is more of a small, overlooked, infamously corrupt fishing village. That's where he goes. Be like Jesus being born in like Annex, Oregon. Have you heard of Annex? A few? No, not, no, not really anybody. No, it's a town in Oregon. Annex, Oregon. It's like add-on town. Annex is like an add-on. Or how about Halfway, Oregon? Anyone heard of that one? Halfway, Oregon. Halfway to where? <laughs> or like we got there halfway and we're like, we're, this is good enough. We're halfway. That's good enough. Let's just stay here and halfway. And the disciple Nathaniel, maybe you know this, but when he was being challenged by Philip to come and see what we just sang, come and see what God has done, Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth when he heard the Savior was going to be born there? Kind of an add-on, in the middle of nowhere town, annex halfway. <laughs> but he also came to the middle of nowhere girl, a middle of the nowhere girl, Mary. Young, uneducated, unaccomplished, illiterate, unmarried. She'd probably live and die in her village without ever traveling much more than a few miles from her home. That's who she is. Think about it. A a middle-of-nowhere type of girl. And think about the fact that this middle-of-nowhere girl would be the one who most physically looked like Jesus. He would share her DNA. And Gabriel appears to this middle-of-nowhere girl from middle-of-nowhere town, and he says to her, as the scripture records, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. First here we see, underneath this first point, that God loves to come to the unexpected place and people, and here in particular, to this very humble girl. He loves to come to people who don't have much, that come from middle-of-nowhere families, towns, backgrounds, histories, lives, bank accounts, you name it. He loves humble people of humble means. And so we see so much of the character of God in this unpretentious joy that he has over this middle-of-nowhere girl. So unpretentious. Rejoice is what the word greetings actually literally means. Gabriel comes and says, rejoice, Mary. Rejoice. Why? 
You're favored, and God is with you. God initiates his grace here with Mary. Uh, from out of the, uh, uh, nowhere place town, from nowhere gir- place girl, and he initiates his grace with her and makes her really the most blessed woman to ever live, if you think about it. She would give birth to the Son of God. This is who God is. His grace is always uninvited. His grace always initiates with the sinner. Salvation begins with God. Check out every story, basically, of the Bible and every character of the Bible. God comes searching for them. Rejoice, Mary. The Lord is with you. You found favor and grace with God. And here he gives his special favor and presence to this young girl with not much of anything to offer back to him. She's got nothing really to give except her obedience and submission to plans she couldn't possibly understand fully yet. I'm reminded in this passage, I was thinking this week, and it made me think of the passage here with Mary and Gabriel. It reminded me of the passage where Samuel the prophet comes to David in um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel comes to, the pro- to David, who he also had kind of risen as a humble middle-of-nowhere boy to become the king of Israel. Remember, he was the youngest of a, sh- a shepherding family, and he becomes the, is, uh, the king of Israel. When Samuel came to David, and it's the Davidic covenant that we call it, but it's also the passage that's referenced in Gabriel's words today. Here's what Samuel said to David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Verse 32 today affirms that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's from the family of David. He sits on the throne of David. The family line, even as Joseph is mentioned here in verse 27, is being from the house of David. But it was in David's response that I kind of thought of Mary and Gabriel and David's response to Samuel that I thought was so appropriate and reminded me of Mary. When Samuel said these words to him, your throne will be forever. Here's what David said. He says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. It's like he kind of says here to God in this response to Samuel the prophet, I'm a middle of nowhere man, and you're condescending to me? This is a small thing to you who is so great. But to me, it's kind of hard to understand, God. It's a big deal to me. It might be small to you, but this is a big deal. Reminded me of Mary's words. Look at verse 29 with me. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was confused. Kind of like David, she didn't quite get it. Probably a a bit frightened as she tried to take it all in. I'm too insignificant. I'm too small. You're coming to me? 
I like the old commentator. I was reading this Second Samuel passage today, an old commentator who was commenting about this passage and his words to David, but it fits well in his response to Mary as well. He said this, when God the Lord in his treatment of mortals follows the rule which he's laid down for the conduct of men towards another, love your neighbor as yourself, when he shows himself kind and affectionate, this must fill with adoring amazement those who know themselves and God. He's coming in tender affection, kindness to Mary. She might not have seen it that way. And I'm not sure I always look at God this way. When I see some of the plans he unleashes in my life, And I'm not sure that we understand how he looks at his own, that he's good and kind, even in the confusing stuff you're going through. I think like Mary and David, we're prone to think, my life's too small for God to notice me. Or if he does, it's to whip me into shape or kind of whip me back into place because I've gotten out of line. Or I'm too insignificant for him to notice me, let alone work through me in the world. Or maybe like Theophilus at the beginning of the book, do I really belong to this God? Do I have a place in his community, in his kingdom, in the future kingdom? Is he really with me the same way Gabriel said he was with Mary? How do you know? How do we know? How How do you know if you have this problem? This problem of not seeing God in the way that he's meant to be seen to those who know him. Kind, loving, affection, condescending to us as mere mortals. How do you know? Well, how do you react or think about God when the plan in your life doesn't go the way you think it should? Kind of like Mary's plan for her life. Or you're confused by those plans. How do you respond Here's a few ways sometimes we respond. Sometimes we think, well, this is just God getting even because I've been a bad Christian, haven't been reading my Bible, I've been more kind of gossipy and just been my attitude, and he's just getting even with me. So bitterness and complaint, maybe. Or we aim our discontent at God with the plan he's unfolding in our life. It's confusing. How could you let this happen to me, God? Sometimes it's ingratitude. Just a a great amount of ingratitude in life not understanding that we have so much to be thankful for. If these are the persistent attitudes of your heart, when things confuse you or go wrong, it's possible you fundamentally shifted your view of God and based your view of God on your circumstances rather than on what he says about himself. Based upon the things of God or getting the things of God rather than just basing your view of him and the plans he's unfolding in your life, basing it upon God himself rather than the things of God? That's a hard question. Maybe it means you're still kind of holding on to control of your life. Mary could have done that. Mary could have responded and been upset at God. And I think actually you'd probably understand given what he's going to say, Gabriel says to her. You'd probably understand it a little bit. Wait, God, you know I'm not married, right? And people are going to know they can put two and two together and months together and my marriage to Joseph together. And 
God, if this doesn't work out with Joseph, I will be an absolute outcast. There was no social net to catch her in those days. This, this doesn't fit my plan, God. And by the way, I'm like 15, God. <laughs> she had every right, I think, to kind of be like, wait, confused. But again, what did Gabriel say? He said to her, rejoice. You are graced. You are favored. And he goes on in verse 30 to say, don't be afraid. Oh, favored one. The Lord is with you, even in the confusing plan I'm about to lay out for you, Mary. God is with you. He comes to the most unlikely people, the most unlikely places, and even when his plan is confusing, it's good. So what does Mary do? How does she respond to this plan that she couldn't possibly understand fully yet? It's the way we hopefully can respond when plans in life confuse us, here's what she does. Wrestle to believe God's plan even when you don't understand it. She wrestles to believe God's plan even when she doesn't quite get it. In verses 30 through 34, we get this incredible announcement from Gabriel, the angel. It's sort of a free interpretation of sorts of the First Samuel 7 passage I just read where Samuel describes to David this eternal throne. You're going to have a baby, and you will name him Jesus. That is what you must name him. You're going to name him Jesus. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. And it's as if the angel knows, yeah, I know, Mary, you can't quite understand that. So he repeats himself, read my lips, Mary. No, Mary... His kingdom will never end. He will live forever. He will be the son of the most high God. These are, on the surface, as a Jewish person would have read them, as hopefully we can see them today, they would have been mind-blowing otherworldly statements that Mary could not fully yet comprehend. She had to be confused. And I wonder for us today, as we come to these words of Christmas again, as we're in another Advent season, we celebrate another year of celebrating the birth of baby Jesus. I wonder for us today, will you or I kind of sleep through another Christmas? Meander through another Christmas and without realizing the grandeur, just kind of let it pass without a, a fresh wonder or awe at what actually happened when we moved to Canby about, oh, not quite six years, but five and a half years ago or so, we moved here. Everyone told us about the train that would pass through town all hours of night. <laughs> we thought, okay, well, we've lived near trains before, but it hadn't been for a long time. And the first few nights we lived here, uh, guess what? We heard the train. Or at least I did. I think I rolled over and I went, train, train. She's like, well, I'm asleep, you know, I'm asleep. We heard the train. It woke us up. It startled us. And I thought, oh, there it is. That, that's what everybody was talking about. Well, after a few weeks, we'd gotten so used to it. What happened? Began to sleep through it. Didn't even notice it. Well, until I wrote it in my sermon this weekend, then I heard it. Um, <laughs> we got used to it. 
And we wouldn't even wake up at night, and I can't actually remember the last time the train woke me up now. Has Christmas become like the train noise in Canby to you? Or like white noise, maybe? You're so familiar with it, you can kind of just sleep through it again. Has Christmas become that? Or maybe you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ yet. It's possible. You're here today and you don't know Jesus yet. And here's this message for you. Don't sleep through another Christmas. Wrestle with Mary's words, with Gabriel's words, like she, like she did. Wrestle with both. Let's look at it. Let's look and see how she wrestles because it's a good pattern for us in the hard stuff of life. Let's look at it. Okay, Mary, you are going to name your son Savior, Jesus, and he will be Messiah, and he will live and reign forever. Okay, Gabriel. <laughs> All right, let's see how she responds. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, she's asked the obvious question. Um, she knows how biology works at this point in her life, and she's asking the obvious question. I'm not married. I ha I'm, I'm sexually inexperienced. How could this happen? She's wrestling with Gabriel's claims. She's taking them at face value, and she's wrestling with them, what I would say, with a healthy, faith-filled circumspection. She's checking them out. She's thinking about them. And she responds almost the same way as Zachariah. Take a look at them. Zachariah said to the angel when they had their miraculous birth announced, how shall I know this? From an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And yet he is struck mute for disbelief. And Mary says this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And she's rewarded with more information and assurance. Zachariah says, how can this be? And just for that, I'm striking you mute. You will not speak until he's born. Wow. Mary says it. And Mary, nothing's impossible with God. <laughs> she gets something totally different. It's not as if the angel appeared and Mary said, wow, an angel. Please tell me more. No, that is not how she responded. You know, ancient people were not just naive to believe anything. Sometimes we think that or our culture thinks that. We're so progressed and advanced, we would never fall for those things. Well, do you know, you and I or most people in our, in our world, culture, nation have been trained in our culture to disbelieve the supernatural. From the time we entered school, it's only natural, there's no supernatural. But she'd been trained to believe that God could not become a human. She had been trained that as a good Jew, that God could not become a human. So Mary was at least a little bit dubious. She was troubled at his words. I'm a virgin. God, how are you going to do this then? So if that's the case, what's going on here with the two similar answers but totally different responses? One gets struck mute. One gets this platter of goodness and truth and all this information and, and assurance. What's going on here? Well, the Bible has a much more nuanced view of doubt than we realize. It's one thing to doubt and not really want an answer. That's the, a virtue in the world today. Doubt everything, 
with not even an open mind to consider and clamp it down on anything, to doubt and to not really want an answer. That's one. To doubt big spiritual supernatural claims. How can this be? No way. No way. There's no way this could happen. But there must be another way to doubt. Because Mary's doing something kind of like Zechariah, yet she's praised and he's punished in a way. There must be another way to doubt, to wrestle and ask questions with also at the same time really wanting an answer to those questions. It's a level of heart attitude, actually. I think we have a difference going on here between Zechariah and Mary. Verse 29, it says, she tried to discern these things, all these strange statements and confusing statements about this boy, her son, and who he would be. The literal word there kind of means she, uh, she took an audit with the information. She wrestled with the confusing plan of God. She mulled it over in her mind and heart and even answered and questioned Gabriel, how can this be? She looked at it from all sides and questioned it. That's what Mary did. You know, we don't always and we haven't always had done this so well in the church. We've tended to respond a little more like Gabriel to Zechariah in the history of the church when someone's questioned something. I'm striking you moot! <laughs> Rather than giving space to kind of wrestle with the hard truths of life and of the gospel. We've tended to do that. But how many things happen in your life that are confusing? One, two, no, lots, right? How many things happen? God's plan for his life that you just don't understand, you can't explain. How many questions do you have at different times of life? I'm sure many. Mary did. Whether it's the aging and breaking down of your body or the illness that is ravaging your body now, prolonged grief of losing a loved one or just the general day-to-day hard stuff of life. It brings questions, doesn't it? Well, here in the Bible, doubt is more nuanced. It's neither all bad or it's neither all good. There's two different kinds. Like I said, a kind of doubt that's closed mind that doesn't want answers, a kind of doubt like Zachariah's, a kind of doubt that sort of wants to stay in control of life. Zachariah used his doubt to stay in control, to keep his mind closed. Come on, Gabriel, that's crazy. That's crazy. No way. Uh, No way. Mary's doubt, on the other hand, is open to the truth. And she gets out of the driver's seat of her life and actually takes her hands off with her doubt. She takes them off. Okay, Gabriel, I will wrestle with this even if I don't understand it. I'll surrender to this plan. God's plan. Even if it's confusing, Gabriel, okay, how can this be then? It's totally different heart motivation. I'll surrender. Did you notice there, she doesn't even get to name the baby. How many of you went back and forth in the hospital or with 
your spouse or, you know, what are we going to name this baby? Oh, this. No, I want that. Ooh, never that. Well, you know what the, how they'll make fun of that name when he gets to junior high? Uh, not that name. You know, how many of you went back and forth with names and some of you had your kids and didn't even have the names picked out yet and it came a few days later. But every time, who got to name your baby? You did. Every single time. Gabriel says here, you don't get to name this one. His name is Jesus. You will call him Jesus. Took away the right of every parent of every time in all of history. She really had to surrender. And Gabriel tells her, you'll name the baby Jesus. I think letting her know, you know, if he's going to come into your life, Mary, you're not going to call the shots. He's going to call the shots. You don't get to name him. He's going to actually name you, Mary. If Jesus is going to come into your life, you have to do the same. He calls the shots. He names you. You've got to take your hands off a little bit. Oh, of that control we love to have and so desperately cling to, right? You'll name him this, Mary. You can't give him stipulations. I'll serve you if... No, no, no. You have to humble yourself like this 15-year-old girl, Mary, and say, I am a sinner in need of salvation and the initiating grace of Christ. I drop my conditions for you, God. I've got none. I take my hands off of my life. And so Mary does. She says, okay, I will have this baby. I will try to understand. I'm wrestling with this. And she says these words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you believe a 15-year-old girl, unexperienced and naive in life, said those things after hearing the, what was going to happen to her? It's, it's incredible. It couldn't be but other than the grace of God in her heart. So which doubt is yours? Maybe you've got some today of things with the truths and claims of Christianity. Maybe it's just with the confusing plans that God is unfolding in your life right now. Which doubt is yours? Is it like Zechariah? Or is it like Mary? Or when it's going to happen inevitably soon in all of our lives, when some plan comes in your life that you didn't plan for and you can't understand, and it's just confusing, or your plans get ruined, your perfect plans, can you say, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Will your, like Mary, how can it be, be turned into a let it be? Some ways, Paul McCartney had that one right. Let it be, that song, famous song. Let it be. It's Mary whispered words of wisdom. Let it be. Can your, how can it be, be turned into a let it be? Here's what the angel reassures her of in verse 37, which will help us too. He says to her, nothing is impossible with God. And if that's true, here's our third point that I think, I think it verifies for us. If nothing is impossible with God, as Gabriel says to Mary, it's at least possible that his plan is better than your plan. What Gabriel's saying to Mary is, he will and can use 
everything in our life. If anything is possible with God, which Gabriel says to Mary, no matter what you're going through, even if it's something you would never chosen for yourself, even if it's something you would have chosen for your worst enemy, or plans that God takes you through that are totally confusing, plans that turn your plan upside down, if anything is possible for God, then it's at least possible that his plan will ultimately be better than yours. And actually, I'm saying it in a little bit of a funny way to catch your attention. It's much more than at least possible that his plan will be better than yours. It's absolutely certain (laughs) that his plan will be ultimately better than yours. It was with Mary, wasn't it? So God is asking you, is he asking you to walk through something right now, some plans that you don't understand, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, we've seen that time and time again, even in the years I've been preaching here. Abraham, Abraham, get up and leave behind the familiar home, family, place, and go to a land I will show you at some point. <laughs> Hebrews says he went out not knowing where God was sending him. Do you feel like that today, maybe? You might. Where are you sending me, God? But he's asked time and time again his disciples to take steps of faith and obedience like Mary, like Abraham, like Moses, like Jonah, all those that got commands to go but never quite knew what the outcome would be. Take a step of faith. Walk out not knowing where you're going, Abraham. Or like Mary. She went out not knowing where she was going to as well, really. She couldn't ever have imagined the cross and know that she would see her baby boy hang there? How do you get to the point where you can say, let it be, Lord? A few quick ways to to finish up with today. Well, first one, do this. Wrestle in the open with your doubts. If you've got them, don't keep them secret. If you've got them, talk about them. Wrestle with your doubts out in the open like Mary did. Abraham did the same thing, wrestled with God. Jacob did the same thing, literally, right? Wrestled God. Um, We got to do that. You got to wrestle like David did too. This is a small thing to you, God, who's so great, but to me, it's kind of hard to understand. An eternal throne? Bring your questions out in the open, whether it has to do with Christ and salvation and coming to him the first time, Or whether you're just struggling with something, who do you have to talk to in our church? DNA group, growth group, call a pastor or elder, a friend in the church. Don't keep your angst, suffering, doubts, whatever you want to call it, don't keep it secret. Mary didn't. She spoke it to a glowing, angelic host of being from the army of heaven we read about today. Church has got to be a safe place to doubt, people. It's got to be. And wrestle with those doubts. Uh, We won't strike you mute, I promise. (laughs) Right? We won't strike you mute. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Believe God has a kind, a plan that is kind and good. Believe God has a plan that is kind and good. We, We wrestle with those thoughts of how we view God based upon circumstances rather than how he explains his character in the Bible. If anything is possible with God and you have found his grace and favor in Jesus, hold on to that goodness. 
even if the plan is confusing. Hold on to his word and what you know about his character, not what it looks like on the surface where it's stormy. Sink your roots deep into him. That he's kind and that he's good. Hold on to the baby in a manger. And here's our third one. Submit. It's a hard word, isn't it? It's a scary word. Because it means you're taking your hands off your life. It means you're giving up control. But we get to submit to one who we know, if anything is possible, that his plan, it's better. Submit to his plan knowing it's better. Have you ever said these words? Or thought them, or something similar to them. I am the Lord's servant, let it be, may it be to me, let it be as you have said. These words bring blessing to say them. But here's the great truth for us as Christians. You can say them in all kinds of circumstances. You can say them with all kinds of hard attitudes across the spectrum. These words bring blessing. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can say it through fear-filled eyes and a a grief-filled heart. You can say it with tear-filled eyes and a heart of sorrow. You can say it when you're full of fear. You can say it when you're full of joy. You can say it at any time. Let it be according to me. I submit. You might say, well, that sounds really good, but come on. Uh, Come on, the stuff that's happening or is going to happen in my life, that sounds really good, but to actually say it, do you know why you can? Because the one born to Mary said the exact same thing. You know, Mary did this. She humbled herself, said, let it be, took her hands off her life before she ever knew what Jesus would do for her. But Jesus did for her everything she did, too, but intimately, or infinitely more, excuse me. He took his hands off his own life. Do you know that? And he said, let it be. I mean, the table points us there today. The table and the elements point us right to that. There was a time in Jesus' life where he was confused. The plan maybe didn't quite make sense. He definitely, in some way, in some sense, wanted to get out of it even. Please, Lord, if there's another way, I don't understand this. This might, this might seem too a small thing to you, but this is a big thing to me. The table shows us that. He was confused about God's plan in the garden that night before his death, the death he would die for us. It was a plan that I, we said I wanted, he wanted to get out, of, get out of at some level. But guess what he said? Let it be. Not my will, but your will. Do you see that? That's the only way you can say it yourself. You have to see that he said it too. He did it too. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done and infinitely so, more so for you. He did it too. When he could have grasped to control and power and said, no way, this is far enough. I've done enough for these people. I'm out. He didn't. He let go. He let go. And he went through it. He let go of control of his life. So don't sleep through another Christmas. See it again with eyes of wonder and awe 
hear the train whistle, right? Hear it again. You're all going to wake up tonight and go, Pastor Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take a few moments. I want you to prepare your hearts. I want you to think about this again. Contemplate. Spend some time in repentance with the Lord, coming back to him in his goodness. Maybe it's about some confusing plans in your life. Look and see how far he came to get near us and do whatever it takes in your life this Christmas to get near to him. Our servers are going to come up and prepare and get ready here.